Hey everybody, Dave here from Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast, and yeah, that's right, it's still morning with a U. I'm here to warm things up a little bit with some pre-show announcements. First up, we have some shoutouts from YouTube for our recent review of Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal. First up, Brandon Heaton says, I can't wait for Primal. First episode was Kick-Ass, and Black Knight, and Fixed. Now, if you're confused out there, Black Knight and Fixed are two upcoming animated feature films from Gendy Tartakovsky that he's working with Sony Pictures Animation on. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of information on those at the moment, but that's maybe his next big thing after Primal. So that's what, what Brendan is referencing there, and that also came from our interview. So if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about them, be sure to listen to our interview with Tartakovsky. Also from YouTube from that same episode, Tubby says, I am very excited for the next four episodes. My friend showed me the trailer for it back in June, and ever since then I've been very hyped for the next episodes. My one criticism would be the size and consistency with Fang. The only time I saw a size inconsistency was when Fang was the size of the horned dinosaurs when she fought them, and then she was only slightly larger than Spear on the beach. Other than that, I really love everything about this show. And finally, we also have from YouTube Jules K asking, does anyone know how many episodes there will be in the first season? It looks insane. So as you guys are hearing this, you will have seen the fifth and final episode of season one, but as I'm recording this, I have yet to actually see it. They haven't released it to the press, so I'm going to watch it with you live when it's on Adult Swim. Friday night at midnight. However, friend of Collider and regular contributor Rafael Motomayor also had an interview with Tartakovsky recently, and he actually found out that there are 10 episodes in the can for Primal. So they've got 10 episodes. Adult Swim is probably going to release the next five sometime next year. I think it really depends on how people receive the show and how much they talk about it and how much they want it. So if you guys really like Primal, let Twitter know, let social media know, and definitely let Adult Swim know because they are paying attention. All right, guys, you know what's next. This is when I ask you to head over to patreon.com slash Saturday Morning Cartoons, and remember, that's Morning with a U, to consider throwing us a buck or two every month to help improve the podcast. Ultimately, we'd love to start creating our own original animation, but we're a long way off from that, and we need your help to get there. Every little bit helps. So what's on today's episode? I'm flying solo to talk about Seis Manos a new Netflix anime series from Powerhouse Animation, the same talented team behind Castlevania, that blends 70s kung fu films, Mexican culture, and grindhouse levels of violence and gore. So buckle up, because this one's not for the kiddos. All of this and more, so now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider weekly podcast for all things animation, including news, reviews, and interviews. Coming to you all the way from the 36th chamber of Shaolin, I'll be your host, Dave Drumbor. My co-host, Sean Paul Ellis, would have been with us today, but he's busy mastering the five deadly venoms. Don't worry, once he masters them, he'll be back in Return of the Five Deadly Venoms. If you guys are familiar with that title, then you're in the right spot, because you probably know some 70s kung fu movies. We'll talk about them more in a little bit, but today... I'm going to talk about seis manos, seis manos, obviously Spanish for six hands, which we will talk about what exactly that means, but it's already in keeping with both a Mexican influence, because you've got a Spanish title, but also with 70s kung fu films, because they always had crazy kind of names that had, like, like we said earlier, Five Deadly Venoms, 36th Chamber of Shaolin. They just had these very like evocative titles, and seis manos definitely draws from them. But before I get too far into it, I want to turn it over to our friend of the show, you know him, you love him. Bobby Anthem, who's going to tell you what Seis Manos is all about. Mexico, late 70s. 
A swell of cartel violence rips through the border town of San Simon, where a Chinese immigrant long on the run from his past, Chu Li Man, has carved out a quiet existence for himself. Years ago, he took in three children orphaned by the violence and began tutoring them in the martial arts. When Chu was murdered in a spree of cartel brutality, his now-grown warriors in training vowed to hunt down their mentors' killers and battle for justice. The three fighters, Silencio, Isabella, and Jesus, each trained in a unique form of martial arts, must form an uneasy alliance with Brister, a no-nonsense Houston DEA agent, and Garcia, a local Mexican cop. Together, they try to track down and destroy the cartel that killed their mentor and father figure and has torn their home into drug-infested, bullet-ridden shreds. But things are even worse than they know. Our heroes soon discover, to their horror, that the drug lord they seek to destroy has grown his power not just out of the soil of his cruelty, but from a dark supernatural force that is the corrupt lifeblood running through the beating heart of his cartel. Thank you so much, Bobby. Again, and we say this every week, and I'm talking to myself this week, so nobody's going to argue with me, but still, Bobby Anthem needs to be a voice actor. I mean, season two is coming up, probably, for this show, so I don't know why Bobby couldn't be a part of it. Give Bobby a shout out. Let him know. Let him know you love him. Let him know you want to hear him on Seis Manos. He can be Siete Manos. He can have the seventh hand. Sorry, Bobby. You only get one hand, apparently. I don't know why I didn't go straight to Ocho Manos, but here we're stuck and I can't edit it out. Sorry, bud. So anyway, talking about Seis Manos, uh, Bobby gave you the synopsis of it, but I think it's important to know kind of the background of this too a little bit. We mentioned Powerhouse Animation Studios earlier in the intro. They're the same team that brought you Castlevania, one of the animation studios that brought you Castlevania and also brought you this title. I believe it's their first original title. So this is one that it wasn't an adaptation of anything. It obviously is inspired by some different things, which we'll talk about in a second. But it's, it's an original title, and you, you don't really get to see that too often, especially something this well done. They grab some headlines with Castlevania, but now with Seis Manos, they actually get it to kind of do their own thing, and they're somewhat more in control of, of how that goes. They don't have to worry about any rights holders kind of gumming up the works. And I think they've done a great job so far. We're going to talk about exactly why. But this series was originally created by uh, Brad Graber and Alvaro Rodriguez, and I believe Rodriguez is actually a cousin of Robert Rodriguez, a famous filmmaker who we will also talk about because there are a lot of influences felt in Seis Manos as well. So hang on to your hats if you're a fan of Robert Rodriguez because this has a lot of those flavors to it as well. I do want to talk about the cast a little bit though because it's, like we just talked about in, in some recent episodes, casting is so important these days. Not only because you want to find the voice and the person for the role, but you also have to be socially conscious about who you're casting in a role and what that character is ultimately going to be and how they're going to be received uh, on social media in in the collective consciousness in the conversations that people are having and these days that will make or break a project not like it was back when people didn't have the the immediate connection to each other to share outrage or to share appreciation or anything like that or even podcasts where you could come and hear other people's opinions and either get really mad about them or be like yeah that makes sense i agree with that i'm happy to say says manos they have very specific character delineations in mind and then they have really really good casting that matches them too so i want to walk through some of the characters before we get into our good the bad and the ugly which we don't do here we do the good the bad and the lol but i want to walk through some characters first so you guys kind of get a feel for who we're talking about here if you haven't seen the show so far so seis manos like i said it means six hands but it means that we're focusing on three hero characters so one of them isabella 
All of them are martial arts fighters, and she has the Hungar style, which is interesting if you know, if you've ever studied the Hungar style, because it's usually very, like, forceful, very determined and deliberate motions and movements. And she's fairly slight, but that that kind of informs her character. So the martial arts style that she uses is really strong. It's very forceful and it's very deliberate. It also comes with these cool, uh, sometimes the, the martial arts practitioners will have rings, heavy, heavy rings that they put on their wrists and their forearms. And that helps with not only like the look and the imposing kind of feel of that demonstration and that style, but also with the training that they use too. And it also hits, you hit really hard with those things. I used to train a little bit in Hungar, a little bit in, in this and that, but I did a bit of Hungar and uh, that stuff, it's tough. So it's really cool to see Isabella um, using that style. And she's voiced by, uh, I believe it's Eileen Derbez. And I apologize if I'm saying her name wrong. We also have Jesus. Jesus, if you guys are a fan of any of the Jackie Chan movies where he's Drunken Master, or any of the many, many, many martial arts movies where there's a version of a drunken master, like Bo Raicho from, uh, I believe, Mortal Kombat, if, if I'm remembering that correctly. Any of that drunken master style where it's kind of a roly-poly dude and he's obviously kind of drunk or just looks like he's drunk because that's how his, his style actually works, you're going to love Jesus. He's a, he's a big guy, but the way he moves is very fluid and has a lot of style to it, a lot of finesse, and surprisingly, a lot of grace. Uh, he's voiced by Johnny Cruz to uh, excellent effect. And then we have Silencio. Silencio may be one of the most interesting characters in this show because he's a mute and I believe deaf martial arts fighter. And he can't speak for a variety of reasons that are revealed within the show. He uses something called the Bach May style of fighting, which I'm not really familiar with. But even though Silencio doesn't speak, his performance really comes through in the animation. They've done a fantastic job of delivering exactly what's going on in his head through his animation. Now he does communicate. He communicates through his martial arts, but he also communicates through, uh, you know, sign language and the people that he's very familiar with, they know kind of his mannerisms and they have their own version of communication. There are some interesting characters that are sort of paired up with Silencio that uh, they share some things in common. We'll leave it at that. So you can, you can check that out. But the problem with Silencio is dude's got a real rage issue. He's so angry for reasons that make a lot of sense when you watch the show. But the main issue with him in the series is that he needs to rein that in and be able to control it so that he can focus his, uh, his power, his prowess of martial arts, rather than letting it control him and take over him. Some of the supporting players that we have in here, if you're going to have a martial arts story, you need to have a martial arts master. And here's where it gets a little interesting because they start to, Seismano starts to blend styles, right? So we've already got kind of our, our Mexican martial arts heroes, which is interesting enough because you don't, you never see that. I'm going to call this Mexicanime. I'm not the first one to do it. I won't be the last one to do it, but I really like this kind of subgenre of the, of the medium. So in order to have a martial arts master, we have Chu, C-H-I-U, voiced by Vic Chow. Uh, he's, he's kind of your prototypical old Chinese Kung Fu master. And he is the one who trains this trio of, we come to find out that they're orphans. So he raises them up and he trains them in various styles of martial arts. For what ends, we have no idea. But his character and his part to play becomes really, really important over the course of this first season. We also have some people on the outside of this. We have uh, a Mexican federale and uh, she's actually the first female officer in her region named Garcia. And she's voiced by Angelica, uh, I'm going to say Vale. I don't know if it's Vale or Vale, so forgive me. We also have Brister. He's uh, the typical American agent from the DEA. And he and Garcia work together to unravel some mysteries and some things that are happening in this town. 
He's voiced by Mike Coulter, who you guys probably know as Luke Cage. He does awesome, too. I, I really want to hear more of Mike Coulter's voice work in the future because he really brings kind of like a powerful presence, but also some really funny lines to Brister. Other than that, we've got Carlos Luna, who plays Domingo. He's a 12-year-old orphan who's kind of the introduction to this group and to this story for audiences out there. And then we've got the one and only Danny Trejo, who's playing El Balde, and he's the primary antagonist in the show. All right, so now that you guys have kind of a background and you kind of know the characters who we're talking about here, and I would 100% recommend already I'm doing my recommendation. I'm all out of sorts without Sean here. I'm already doing my recommendation saying to check this out. I'm, I'm gonna, not going to get into too many spoilers here just because I think it's a cool story for you guys to check out, but I am going to go through the good, the bad, and the LOL. If you're listening to the show for the first time on Seis Manos, what we do here for the good, the bad, and the LOL is we look for the things that really worked for us in the show to highlight them. And then we transition to some of the stuff that didn't really work quite so well. But we end with stuff that made us laugh, for better or worse, because we don't really want to punch down at the, the people who are working hard behind the scenes to give us this incredible animation, especially with something like Seis Manos. So the LOL is it can be like a really funny joke or a one-liner or something that they did not intend to be as funny as it was. For this week, I'm going to say the good. The good really starts with the idea. For me, I had a, I had a chance, I, I had a privilege to check out an early, early look at Seis Manos back in 2017. I was at the Rooster Teeth Animation Festival uh, in, uh, in Austin, Texas back in 2017, and I was at a panel for different animators. This one happened to feature the powerhouse animation guys. It was the first time I'd ever really heard of them. I was there to talk to them a little bit about Castlevania well before that came out, but they also had this little teaser trailer for Seis Manos, and they kind of pitched it as like, sort of a Mexican telenovela meets uh, 70s kung fu movie meets aesthetics of like Robert Rodriguez. I don't remember if that's exactly how they pitched it or not, but that was kind of the, the vibe. They were trying to get you in the right mindset for what this show was going to be about. The teaser itself was basically like a sizzle reel of a lot of the different fight scenes, and it stuck with me ever since. I've been waiting for this show to come out ever since then. I didn't know if it was going to happen. I'm glad that it did, but it's one of those things where it's like you see something, and yeah, a bunch of people worked really hard on it, but because animation takes so long to get from a, a, a concept to a teaser to some finished product that you can actually share with the world, you know, two years plus have gone by, and they probably had at least two years before that on the back end. So uh, I'm happy to say that I've been able to see Seismana's kind of come to fruition, and now we've got the first eight episodes, and they're all about half hour. So you can, you can binge them like I did in, in roughly four hours, and you get this whole story, kind of like a nice big, uh, almost like a two-part movie. You can check it out. So some of the good stuff. Again, the idea. I go back to this idea of sort of a, a Mexican telenovela, a Mexican soap opera, mixed with 70s kung fu movies. And if you're not familiar with them, I would 100% go check them out. You, you obviously probably have heard of Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan. You've probably heard of those movies like Enter the Dragon, Drunken Master, things like that. You should check out the, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. I've mentioned that a few times now. It's one of my favorites. Five Deadly Venoms is great. Fist of Fury, King Boxer. And all of these have, they have the original sort of like Hong Kong name that they were released under. The translation of that. Another translation that's probably a little bit closer in English from that. And then sometimes they did an American re-release where they completely changed the title. So you, you've got all kinds of crazy titles that are out there. One of my favorites is probably Master of the Flying Guillotine which is a Chinese uh, master who, uh, he has a hat that he throws and this, like, essentially, like, a flying guillotine comes out and cuts the victim's head off, but then he has it on a chain, so he can just, whoop, just pull it right back to him, and he takes their head off and brings it back. You probably saw it in a Mythbusters episode where they actually make 
that thing and test it and see if it works. And it kind of does, but it's very, very silly. That kind of idea, those kinds of tropes, right? So you have characters that are all studying different martial arts styles and they're all using them in like highly dramatic fashion to fight each other, to fight bad guys, to fight gangs of criminals and thugs and things like that. All of those tropes, even right down to the quote unquote inscrutable, you know, long bearded, wispy, white haired, uh, walks around in robes, kind of like Chinese martial arts master. He's there too. And that could be good or bad, depending on if you know that this is an homage to those 70s kung fu films, or if you think it's it's being, you know, cultural appropriation or something like that. I think if you can look at it through the lens that it's a loving homage to some of these films that were kind of exploitative back in the day, even if they were, you know, straight out of Hong Kong, some of these are the ways that they were cut for American audiences. If you can kind of get past that and just see it as like a loving homage to those, I think you'll really enjoy it. And then the weirdest thing was like the the blend of all of those things together. If you're a fan of Robert Rodriguez films, then things like El Mariachi, Desperado, but also From Dusk Till Dawn, those, you know, those existed in the same mind, the same filmmaker's mind, right? This Seis Manos kind of pairs those ideas together. There's a lot of occult stuff. There's a lot of really dark kind of... Uh, magical things that happen uh again i don't want to get too much into spoilers because it's really fun and original to watch this story kind of unfold for itself but they play a little bit with day of the dead dia de los muertos a little bit some of that uh mythology some of that cultural stuff not too heavy-handed but hey october is a great time to be watching this so it's a lot of fun that being said some of the other stuff that worked for me for the good stuff so that blend of ideas and trance really really works together but then they have to build on top of that and how are they going to do that you have to have strong characters that all come together. And I'm happy to say that these three orphans, who are all kind of, you know, they're young adults, right? So they're not like orphan kids. Don't don't think like small kids. You are introduced to Diego pretty early on, who's a, a small orphan kid. They all kind of get caught up in some uh, gang warfare, some stuff that goes on in the town. Uh, there are some terrible things that happen to them that kind of push our heroes further down their journey. And that's just, I mean, that's just good storytelling. But it's done in a way that you don't really expect. So pretty much every episode, it's going to have some familiar tropes and some things that you're used to seeing, but every single time it's going to have a spin on it to give it to you in a way you haven't quite seen before. And I guarantee you that all the action sequences that you see, all the narratives, the way that they play out, everything's got a twist. Everything's just got a little, you know, a little degree turn to it. That's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. That's something I haven't really seen before. Even if you've seen all of Rodriguez's films, even if you watch Mexican telenovelas, even if you watch every single like 70s kung fu film you'll spot things here and there but this is a, an original story that kind of makes the best of of all of that as well some other stuff that's really cool is is honestly yeah it's the story the original story of it because it folds in it folds in some things that can be a little bit tropey so there is some some gang aspects to it and there are some you know illegal drug activity aspects to it that's how they get the law kind of involved so if you're wondering like well how does the you know cops versus criminals kind of thing involve three orphan martial arts masters that's that's kind of the beauty of the story it all kind of folds in together in ways that one is kind of implicated in the other or one discovers what's going on thanks to the other's help but they all kind of meet in the middle so you've got your your orphan trio you've got silencio isabella and jesus and they've got their master chu and they kind of cross paths with uh, brister and garcia and they end up working together but I mean, there's some crazy stuff that goes down. A lot of it is kind of supernatural. It's a, it's everything is bigger than life in this show. So like they tune that dial like way, way, way up. So it's a lot of fun to actually watch. And the animation is fantastic. 
I, I really don't have any issues with the animation at all. Normally, we, we kind of, uh, depending on how old the show is, if we talk about one of our nostalgic titles here, we're usually like, oof, there is some real janky animation. But this one's actually, it's super smooth. And the action sequences are so well thought out and so well planned that they're a lot of fun to watch. It's just like watching a kung fu movie. You get to see all three of them interact. You get to see them kind of egg each other on or reinforce each other or sometimes... You know, take take Brister, for example. He's the big bruising guy. He's just kind of a brawler, right? He'll use his gun if he has to, but most of the time he's just a brawler. And he's the American uh, agent who comes down to help kind of clean things up. So most of the time he's just taking people out with like one punch left and right, no problem. But once you start to get into these criminals that are kind of juiced up on this, um, shall we say, illegal, supernatural, narcotic uh, that's where things start to get kind of tough because they're they're all kind of a step above and beyond our heroes. And it, it, it becomes a lot more difficult for them to kind of fight their way through. One of the best scenes ever. Actually, you know what? I'm going to save that for the LOL. Best scene ever. Put a pin in it. We'll come back to it in the LOL. So the animation works great. The action works great. The storytelling's great. What else is good about this? The fact that it's very contained for eight episodes, it introduces you to the orphans, it introduces you to the title town, and then it reveals this kind of, this plague, this kind of rotten core that's led by El Balde and his gang. They start off with all, all three of those things kind of laid out before you, and then you watch how they influence each other over the course of these episodes. And the pacing is really good, too, because it picks up fairly quickly. There are some character deaths early on that kind of force our heroes into action. There are some pretty violent things that are revealed throughout the course of this story that you understand some motivations, you understand some some of the ambitions that are at play here, all right? Whether it's the heroes or the villains, you can kind of understand and sympathize with them a little bit on either side. That's another great thing about this. Like, the characters aren't black and white. They're very in that gray area. The orphans are kind of on the, on the they're a little closer to the lawless side, all right? Sometimes they have to do stuff that's not... It's not technically legal in order to survive and things like that, but they watch out for each other. They watch out for the other orphans that are in town. El Balde is also known as the orphan maker, if that uh, gives you an idea of, of kind of his place in this town of many, many orphans. Uh, that mythology kind of really works well here, and it somehow works all together with this, this blending of sort of mystic, ancient Chinese martial arts mythology, too, which is only hinted at in this first season. I won't get too much into it because that is still actually unfolding. We are hoping to get a second season of this. Uh, I know that we only have eight episodes for this first season, but the way that they end it strongly, strongly, strongly sets up a second season and where they can go from here. Almost to the point that it almost becomes part of my bad category because it's like, unless you unless you know that you're greenlit and ready to go for a season two, it's, it's not cliffhangery, but it's kind of... It resolves everything that happened in the first season, but it strongly pushes for a second season. Like, they're already on the move. They're ready to go. So we'll see. Stay tuned for season two. As for the bad stuff in this show, there's really not much, uh, to be honest with you. The pacing was really good, but maybe sometimes it felt a little bit rushed. The character developments and the interactions with each other, those are really good throughout. They take time to show characters in vulnerable moments, in quiet moments on their own and with other people as well. Silencio has a great kind of partnership that more and more is un unveiled and revealed as, uh, as their story kind of continues. That there are moments in there that they just, something comes into frame that you didn't see before and you're like, oh, okay, now I understand this dynamic a little bit better. Or sometimes Silencio will be pushed to the edge and he, he has a choice to make. 
does he go farther and does he become this violent man that he can be or does he hold back and actually become human more human again and those decisions are interesting in the way that you know he makes them throughout the season just as everybody else does around him everybody makes their own choices but then they have to face their consequences at the end of the day so that's all great i'm still stuck in my good category i really can't think of anything that's quote unquote bad for this except i wanted to see more i know that's a cop-out but Honestly, I wanted to see more. I will say, the, like I said, the pacing was good. Sometimes they do slow it down a little bit, either for some some jokes or some gags, or to like focus in on a particular scene or a particular character that they really want to focus on. And sometimes they just focus on the blood and the gore just for fun. And that's okay, too. I mean, that, that kind of comes from the Castlevania stuff. But honestly, the guys over at Powerhouse, whether they do, uh, whether they start with storyboards or I don't know how they do it, but... Between Castlevania and Seismanos, they've really got that that pacing down and those narrative beats for the storytelling. It's it's really, really well done. And again, as for the LOLs, it's it's surprisingly funny. Uh, this show is surprisingly funny. I think that, like I said before, I teased the best scene. And as I'm thinking, it's obviously not the best scene, but it was one of the funniest ones when I was watching Brister. So a bit of a letdown there. I apologize. But Brister, again, he's this big bruising brawler of a guy, right? And he's getting ready to like, just knock some of these guys out in this compound that they're gonna they're gonna bust in there and just just you know do the good guy hero stuff. So he's cracking his knuckles, he's cracking his neck, he's ready to go. He he's only got one arm at this point because the other one's in a sling, but he's like, it's no big deal, I got this. And then he turns around and there's just like this massive monster of a dude that's just like right behind him. And it's that classic thing where it's like you've seen this big guy just kind of tear into people throughout the movie or throughout the TV series or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden they're faced with somebody who's much, much, much bigger than them. It's kind of like watching Vin Diesel go up against the Russian dude in, uh, in one of the many Fast and Furious movies, or watching the Punisher go up against yet another Russian dude in uh, the Thomas Jane movie. Something like that, where it's like you're used to this big, bruising force of nature, and then they come up against something that's even bigger and meaner than they are. Great stuff. And again, all tropey stuff, all stuff that like is an homage to these moments in movies that we've seen before. But it works so well in this medium, and it works so well in this kind of mixed-together mashup of genres. It worked really, really well. That's kind of it for like for LOLs. Honestly, this thing is mostly just praiseworthy and, and praise-heavy from me. Uh, I need to watch it again, I'm going to be honest with you. I watched it when it came out, opening weekend, which was only, what, two weeks ago now? Probably as the time you're listening to this. So you guys still have time to go check it out. And again, it's only eight episodes and they're only a half an hour long. I really think you're going to enjoy it. Make it part of your like Halloween festivities if you want, because weirdly it kind of fits. It's kind of spooky. It's like if Scooby-Doo grew up and was like ultra violent, but also in Mexico, but also had (laughs) Chinese martial arts, which I don't think that's ever going to happen. So enjoy this while you can. So since I already recommended it earlier in the show, I'm just going to recommend it again. I will not be dipping this one uh, if that sounds foreign to you. What we do here on the show is at the end of every episode, Sean and myself and any special guests that we happen to have, we will tell you our recommendation of the show. If we recommend it, cool, you can go check it out. If we don't recommend it, we also have an option of dipping a show, which means we erase it from existence for all time. Where does the dip come from? The dip comes from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's this chemical acid something we don't even know. You dip tunes into it and they are erased from existence. We've dipped some increasingly bizarre stuff on this show but this will not be one of them. Seis Manos on Netflix. Definitely go check it out. That's going to do it for me today, but a big thanks going to Bobby Anthem, who you'll hopefully hear in season two of Seis Manos. Stay tuned. But you did hear him on this episode. You can also hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. 
Bobby also has a solo show called In Search of My Lost Soul, which is available along with the Inhuman Experience podcast everywhere podcasts are available. As for me, you can find me on Collider.com. You can also find me on Twitter at DrClawMD. And if you are so inclined and maybe watch some El Camino this weekend, you can check out my book, The Science of Breaking Bad, available wherever books are sold. As for Sean, if you're in the D.C. area, you can check him out with his improv comedy group, Knox. That's N-O-X! Exclamation point. Tickets and times are available at witdc.org. And if you want to help him kick his social media habit, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Paul Ellis. And Sean is spelled like the Irish. As for us here, if you want to support the show, we would love it if you did. You could tell a friend, and you can also leave a review on Apple iTunes. You can hit us up in our DMs on Twitter at MorningTunes. Remember, that's morning with a U. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. And you can drop us an old-fashioned email anytime you want, SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can check out all these links and more on our link tree in the bio for all our social media sites. And as for the podcast itself, you've obviously got it on Collider Weekly. You can listen to us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes. Is iTunes even a thing anymore? I don't think it is. Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. That's going to do it for me today. And Seis Manos, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to let me know what you think about Seis Manos. And uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.